Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. Good evening. Welcome. My name's Andy. I'm uh, the pastor here along with my wife, Anna. We're married for, ooh, coming up to nine years. Only a few weeks away from nine years. Insane. So doing the wedding on Saturday for Sam and Louise, um, that, that just brought back a lot of memories, uh, really. <laughs> Especially when I, you know, it's the first time I've actually done the uh, officiating. Uh, I didn't realize that until I saw the program and it said officiated by Andrew Nimmo. And I thought, oh, that's what it's called. So, um, but going through all the vows and, and the blessing and everything, you know, that's in there that you go through when you have a wedding and it's just powerful, it's profound really, reminding of the depth of relationship that we get to experience in that covenant, you know, where, you know, we're not just having a contract written up and if you do this, then I'll do that. You know, that's a contract, but a covenant that says, I'm putting 100% no matter what. I'm gonna put 100% into this relationship. And so it's awesome that that's what kind of Sam and Louise have set out, you know, with a congregation of people to witness it and God Almighty above as well. It's just mint. So anyway, carrying on the series from last week, I want to talk about God's love, uh, a great theme that uh, you know has been throughout all the songs we've been singing. And uh, yeah, I want to recap a little bit from last week just because I do know some of us won't have heard it or for most of us, we've probably forgotten it because if you're anything like me, you do forget what happened yesterday. So what happened last week is pretty much in a history book by now. But God's love... Let me go through these things because it blows your mind. And if you can make notes, and that's great. They'll come up on the screen. Um, but don't feel pressured that you have to write it all down because sometimes you lose focus of actually what's being said. But I'll try and just get you up to speed. I mean, really, it started off with that little story of me and my middle son, Micah, and him kind of not coming home when I thought he was going to come home and my little heart kind of breaking. And just to put a caveat, I'm not usually emotional. I don't cry. I can't remember the last time I have cried. Um, but, you know, it, it certainly stirred something inside when I realized that my, one of my sons that I thought was going to be coming and spending quality time with me ended up not coming because it just worked out better. And it killed me. But anyway, <laughs> God's love is constant and unending. That's the first one. It's constant and unending. You know, where my love kind of, it's there and then it sometimes wanes a little bit over time or I forget. And, uh, you know, God doesn't forget. You know, he has a, he doesn't have like memory issues or, you know, Alzheimer's that he has to worry about. He's constant. Um, you know, the best thing I could think of is that, you know, like constant, and I did science, right? But there's the gravitational constant. It's a number. And if you're a physicist, you'd know what that number is or have some idea. I've got no idea. But it's a long number, but it's basically constant. It means that gravity is in effect throughout the world, wherever you are. Whether in England or Australia or America, gravity is having its effect. It doesn't change. That number does not alter unless you leave planet Earth, okay? But for the purposes of this analogy, we're all staying on planet Earth for now. You know, so it doesn't decrease. It doesn't fluctuate. It doesn't depend on whether you've done good or done bad or what you've said or, or what the last thing that happened. It has absolutely, it's irrelevant. And God's love is the same. It's constant. It doesn't alter or change towards you depending on your performance or how you've done in life. Whether you think that there's too much baggage 
that you are carrying, oh, I could never come to church. That's often what people say, I couldn't come to church, you know, in the sense of like, well, I'm not good enough. It's like, no one's good enough. And I said last week how Jesus, his perfect man, you know, was able to be really comfortable with people who were totally imperfect. But more amazing was that those imperfect people, the drunks, <laughs> the people that were, you know, tax collectors, they were prostitutes, they felt comfortable being around Jesus. That's quite an unusual thing because usually birds of a feather flock together, i.e., I feel safe. You know, the middle classes with the middle classes, the upper classes with the upper classes, the working classes with, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, we'll stick to our own. But Jesus broke down all those cultural norms and actually it's like perfection and yet people felt so at welcome, so at ease with him. Even children felt and wanted to be around Jesus. It's amazing. The next one was God's love chases after us and chases us down. That song that we sang towards the end, you know, no matter the mountain, he'll climb up, he'll kick down the wall, he'll tear down the lie and he will chase after us. The relationship and the desire for, him, for us to be in relationship with him is vast. You know, it's no wonder that relationships form a huge part of our life. You know, as we go through life, we did, the series we did previously on finances, we had the four quadrants, you know, the holistic approach, and one of the quadrants was finances. Another one was relationships, because relationships are so vital to what we go through while we're here on planet Earth. We weren't born to be in isolation. We were born to do life with one another. And that's shown in how eager we are to often be in a relationship when we're not in one or we think about it when we're on the cusp of being in one all we can think about is that person <laughs> it's like infatuation love is blind we can't escape it and we don't want to because it just feels so good why does it feel good because we were built for relationships it's not an accident it wasn't a mistake it was designed by God the creator it's not evolution but it's the loving father's design on our life I mentioned about the parable of the prodigal son and how the father chased after his son as soon as he saw this son who had asked for his father to be dead so he could take the inheritance, run away, squander it on everything that was totally against his father's wishes and wills, will for his life. But instead he came back sorrowful, but the father just ran to him, welcoming him into his arms. It went against all the cultural things of the day. Again, closest picture I could think of would be like Queen Elizabeth running to Prince Harry because he fell over, right? It's a bit crazy. You wouldn't expect it. Queen Elizabeth has the stature, the monarchy, the, you know, of course she can't run. It would seem improper for her to run in her old age. And yet the parable of the prodigal son was about this father in his old age, not bothered about what people would think of him running, not bothered about what people would think of him, but more bothered about his love for his, his own son. And in that same way, God has a love for you. He's not bothered about how he comes across. He doesn't, he's not bothered about what other people think of him, of how much he loves you. It's, it doesn't make sense. Matthew 28, verse 20. And never forget, never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. Because of God's love, you are never alone. You're never alone. Again, using gravity, right? It never departs. It's always going to be there. You're not worried like, oh gosh, is today gravity going to change? It's like, no, because <laughs> if it was, how are you going to pee into the toilet? Awkward, <laughs> right? But gravity is just constant. You're not worried about it. And the same way the scripture says, never forget that I'm with you every day. I.e., don't worry. We don't always sense it. We don't always feel it. But we should know that its effects are present. God loves us. I then said, we can't walk away, run away, hide away from God's love. Similar to that is there's no circumstance that can separate us from his love. A passage in Romans 
says nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus has embraced us. Nothing, nothing above, nothing below, nothing in the future, nothing in the past, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, nothing thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. And it's that picture of him embracing us. It's like a bear hug. You know, we can't escape. And he is actually stronger. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, no, you're going nowhere. Like, I love you. He's not trying to control or keep you in a place, but his love is attached to you at all times. There's no circumstance that can separate us from God's love. His love drives out and casts away fear. Fear that holds us locked down. It's like a ball and chain. It keeps us stuck to a certain place in time or a situation that's happened and we think we can't move forward because fear says, what if it happens again? What if that relationship turns sour? What if when I go for that, that promotion or that achievement, I'll just be disappointed again? But his love drives out, casts away fear. His love eradicates lies that we've believed and doubts that we face. You know, it's awesome. So that's a summary of last week. It is, I don't know if it is actually recorded. <laughs> this Monday night church is like the undercover, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Monday night. The Sunday churches, they get recorded and everything, but maybe it was. If you want the talk, you can ask at the back and ask me and I'll find out. <laughs> but today, my thought or the way I want to kick off is, so why does love not always work? Because huh? if God's love is that awesome, which I totally wholeheartedly believe, why does it not always seem to work? Or why is not everyone suddenly aware and thinking, because of God's love, I just want to respond to that. And so I want to just go through a few points and then tuck back into some stuff at the end. My first one is we can choose to ignore it. And uh, gosh, you know, my kids can choose to ignore me plenty of times. You know, when you, you get that emotion of like, oh, I really love them and I want to give them a cuddle or something and say I love them. They're like, just, just stop. And they're not even that old yet. It's like, I just want to watch Tom and Jerry, all right? <laughs> you know, they're not bothered about what I'm thinking and feeling. He, my, my sons can ignore the love that I want to give them. And God's the same in the sense of he loves us, but we can choose to ignore his love. And here's the thing. Even though God is almighty, he will never force himself upon us. He will never invade your heart without permission he won't come in. You know, he stands and waits at the door knocking, but it's up to us to open the door. And the reason is, or one of the reasons, is that he wants to protect the most glorious part of his creation, and that is your free will. If he disregarded your free will, we'd be nothing more than robots. Has anyone been watching Westworld? Has anyone seen it? I mean, it's, it is a mind-blowing series, and like, it's a remake of a film from a long time ago, certainly before most of your time. But watching it now, I'm like, gosh, it's this world that's created, and in that world, there are people that are hosts, i.e. robots, but they, they live and they appear to be totally normal, totally human. And then there's the um, guests, which are people who come, who pay to enter into the world to enjoy the kind of the no limits that this world has to offer. I, you can do whatever you like and not pay the consequences as you would in the real world. But it's mad because it starts to merge into like, well, what is the free will? And do the robots have free will? Or are they just like, are they gaining consciousness the way they're being designed? Anyway, recommend you watch it. It will mess with your mind. But God doesn't want to remove our ability to choose. He doesn't want to 
take away our free will because otherwise that's not love. Again, we're just programmed to do something and God didn't want to create someone that's pre-programmed to love him. He wanted to give people the choice, the opportunity to choose him. In that sense, God is not controlling of people. And yet so often that's the image that the church or Christianity wants to pump out. We want to control how you live. You know, I hate it. Like it's such an ugly thing. You know, it's like you can't do this. The church is so often being heard about for what you can't do rather than actually what we're for. And so, but God isn't, isn't into just controlling people. If he was, he wouldn't have given us free will. He would have just removed that option. But instead, he gives us the opportunity. You know, we are actually in control of our life. Our decisions get us exactly where we are today. Our decisions. You know, God is sovereign and in charge. It's just a little picture, right? Because you might think, no, I'm sure God is in control. I'm sure I've heard it before that he must be in control. And in one sense, he's not. You know, it's a bit like I'm in charge of my family, of my house, right? But what goes on under my roof, I don't necessarily agree with everything. You know, when Caleb has like the chocolate or finds the remote control when he shouldn't be watching TV, it happens. doesn't mean I necessarily endorse it or I'm happy or it's my idea. But, you know, anyway. So we can choose to ignore God's love. We can also choose to misinterpret it. We can choose to misinterpret it. You know, so often we can look at someone's actions and think they're trying to ma- manipulate us or trying to do something. You know, sometimes it's a genuine, like, nice act, but someone else receives it as like, what? And you think, gosh, miscommunication. Um, my, wife, we, my wife and I, we run a children's nursery. <laughs> Fantastic staff. On the odd occasion, we have found that our generosity or trying to, like, do something good gets totally misinterpreted. Not by the masses, but usually on like an odd individual case. And it's really bizarre. It's like I'm trying to do something good and they're like thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, that can't be right. Um, <laughs> you know, our generosity has honestly backfired on us sometimes. And you think, gosh, that generosity has almost confused someone. You know, I like, again, sorry to use another TV show, but Game of Thrones. Anyone seen it? Yeah, Game of Thrones, much more popular. Sorry, Westworld, I thought it would have more like appeal. But anyway, Game of Thrones. I mean, I hope you've, this isn't ruining it for anyone, but I don't know if it's the last series, the series before, but Jon Snow. Yeah. Sorry, Charlie, mate. You just put your hands in your ears or something like that, right? But do you remember when Jon Snow got stabbed by the Night's Watch? He's the leader of the Night's Watch. And it's Jon Snow. He's like the amazing leader that it's like yes we want him to win we want him to succeed he's like everything that we want he's like the embodiment of what we want who doesn't we don't want to get killed off in game of thrones he's like the only guy now that i don't want to die and if he does die i might cry that might be the reason for crying (laughs) but john snow and the night's watch his love or his loyalty to the night's watch is misinterpreted by the very people that he's trying to protect and look after he's thinking no we need to make an allegiance with those wildlings it's coming back to me been too long since Game of Thrones. Anyway, but we can choose to misinterpret it. Here's something. Hurting people hurt people. So often, you know when you get a really bizarre response from someone, I come to think, something, what have I done wrong? <laughs> you know, and I've had that. You can do something really nice and it's thrown back at your face and you think, hold on, the person's hurting. And when someone's hurting, they often hurt people. Unintentionally, not always deliberately. And so it's something to clock for ourselves. But when we're hurting... We don't always 
accept the good things that come into our world and receive them the way they were meant to be uh, received. Here's another one. We don't always want to be loved. We're fearful of it. We're scared of it. We're intimidated. We might feel undeserved. Sometimes we self-sabotage things in an effort because we just don't think we deserve to be loved. The number of relationships where people kind of almost have a repeat. It doesn't matter what the person's called, the guy or the girl, but it's like they somehow sabotage the very relationship. Sometimes that thought of like, oh, yeah, just like bad guys. You know, that's the classic. I remember being a young boy growing up thinking, I've got to be a bad boy if I'm going to get a girlfriend. That's crazy. That's crazy. But that's like what the world pumps out. Be a bad boy. And then most people or most girls, from my understanding, don't know, I know one in particular, but... When you do something bad, and like actually bad, like damaging, girls cry, and that's not happy. That's not good. That's not like building towards a happy relationship forever after. It's like, no, we're going to... But anyway, we don't, we don't always want to be loved. Sometimes we do just enjoy the pain um, and the, you know, the pity or things that sometimes are, you know, how we live our lives, the response that it elicits from others right? You know, sometimes the child who sulks is trying to draw attention to get sympathy from people around him, you know, but when an adult does it, it's a bit embarrassing, but we do sometimes. I mean, I hold my hands up as a full-grown, don't want to say old I am, but an adult that has found himself sulking at times. You know, I don't want, I, I don't want that now. You know, someone's trying to give me something really nice, I'm trying to chip, I don't want it. Nope, it's too late. You know, the damage is done right? I, I hope I'm not the only one who sulks. Don't answer that. But we try, and, we try and do things to elicit love, to elicit a response. And it's not, a health, it's not healthy when we do that because we're, we're, we're trying to feed ourselves with the wrong love. But I want to come on to that in a moment. Um, <laughs> we have the wrong idea of love. Just on love, right? Hold on now. Do I say this later? I've just got to find out. We don't understand. Yeah, no, I'll come to that later. Right. We have a wrong idea of love. You know, in the Bible, there's actually four types of love, four words. We have love in the English. In the Greek, which the Bible was originally written in, uh, there's four different Greek words that can be translated into just our love. Our love's quite a simple thing. You know, I love cornflakes. I love the queen. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love the clothes I'm wearing. It just, it's a bit too widespread, right? But in, in the Bible, there's four types of love. And there's, there's more, but these are the four kind of main ones that is referred to. The first one I think we're most familiar with and what comes to mind is eros love. Eros. I'm trying to be Greek. Um, it's the romantic, the sexual love. And if you're wondering, it is, is found in the Bible, Song of Solomon, right kind of in the middle. And uh, you can find a whole you know, book that talks about love in a relationship and the beautiful confines of a a couple coming together into marriage. But anyway, but that's the love that comes to mind most often. We kind of think love, eros, you know. That's what so many people go for. But anyway, then there's storge. Trying to pronounce it right, as if S-T-O-R hyphen J. Even so, it looks like storge. It's not, it's storge. And that's family love. You know, the love that you have towards a brother or sister, a mother or father. It's kind of that we're, we're, we're built in with kind of, it's blood, you know. I can't escape them, and sometimes I do hate them, but at the end of the day, Hopefully, the overriding emotion is love and care. And I didn't choose you, but I, you, you know, my family is what I'm a part of. But we have that, that love. It's a different type. Then there's 
philia love, which is like deep friendships. You know, friendships that have, where we, we go, uh, there's intimacy. We start to see things about others that, that kind of build in. We might find that it's built on mutual respect or common values. You know, in church, it's a brilliant, safe environment for us to experience this kind of community love where it's like we can, we have fellowship, i.e. because you're, because we, we, the church is called to love one another, not just because we like one another. We're not called to like everyone. That would be a real nightmare, right? Because I don't like everyone on the planet. But we're not called to like. We're called to love. So how do we love if we don't like? Because guaranteed there'll be someone, would you believe it, in York that you don't like. I hope you've caught that. But we're called to love. So love overrides our liking. It becomes something that's greater. We call it fellowship sometimes in a church context. In the Bible, it says, a new commandment I give to you. And this is when it's referring to this kind of filial love, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's in the book of John. You know what? I love this scripture. I almost wish we could parade it around everyone this key line that says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Because I, 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 for one, know I've had some pretty bad experiences of people. And often, sometimes it's Christians or churches where, gosh, that is a very strange look alike of love, i.e. it's not. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, uh, Theroux, I forget what his first name is, but when he interviewed some church, Louis, that's it, Louis, um, on the phone to him last, no, I wasn't. Um, but I saw one of his programs where he's interviewing a church in America uh, you, and they're like picarding, you know, flipping, what is it? Picards, I don't know what to call them. Pieces of wood, signs, there you go. <laughs> We're like, you know, kill or like, you know, whatever. It, just mental messages, you know, someone who's died in the service of the army and it's like they're, they're, they're at the funeral, like, you know, trying to say, you know, they're going to hell, they're going to hell. Weird. And, you know, that's on an extreme, right? But there's too many instances that I know of that in Christians, their love is a real bizarre love. And yet the Bible's so clear in the scripture. You can look through every translation. It more or less says the same thing, which is, by this, all people, the whole world, will know that you are my disciples, a Christian, if you have love for one another. I'm going to look a bit later about what love looks like, right? But it definitely isn't what so many people have experienced of church or faith or Christianity. The fourth type of love is agape. And this is God's immeasurable, incomparable love for humankind. This is the love that makes no sense. It's reckless. It's the divine love that comes from God. It's perfect. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial and pure. Jesus demonstrated this kind of love to his father and to the whole of humanity in the way that he lived and died. Like he died for us, not because he was going to get anything out of it, right? He came from heaven, king of kings, to earth, man, right? He became man, right? He left, call it the palace, <laughs> to go to the stable and grow and grow up as a boy and then as a youth and as a man and face all the things that go on, but living perfectly, but dying on a cross for everyone. It was sacrificial, it was unconditional, God gives this love without condition. He gives it unreservedly to those who are undeserving. A guy called Anders Nygren, he's a theologian, Swedish, died a long time ago, but he says this, which is brilliant. Agape love is unmotivated in the sense that it is not contingent on any value or worth in the object of love. 
It is spontaneous and heedless, for it does not determine beforehand whether love will be effective or appropriate in any, any particular case. I love it. It's spontaneous. It's heedless. They're not thinking like, ooh, will it be effective? Will it not? Should I? God's not, he's not looking for a result. He's just looking for a relationship with each and every person on the planet. It's awesome. He's not trying to like mastermind something. It's like, no, he just loves you. It's not like some special kind of to try and get more people in church or more bums on seats or be the biggest religion worldwide. It's like, no, he just loves you. One important aspect of agape love is that it extends beyond emotions. It's much more than a feeling or a sentiment. Agape love is active and it's demonstrated through actions. You know, sometimes we don't under, another point is we don't understand love or we might have had a bad experience of love, you know, quotation marks. You know, abusive, manipulating, love. You know, there's too many times where, you know, you see it on the soaps in TV and all the kind of things where love's used as a tool to manipulate, pe manipulate people to get what someone wants. And it's so crazy and we do it in the name of love. It's like, no, it's just, it's really just selfishness wrapped up in our sin. You know, we end up doing and saying things that are ultimately totally self-serving, but we label it love. You know, I, I, you know, I've got a bit of a little honesty, you know, getting a bit deep and profound at the moment, right? But when I was young, growing up, didn't really know anything about Christian Jesus or anything like that. You know, I found myself going on MSN. I know that probably doesn't exist anymore. It's probably like Facebook Messenger or something or What's the other one? You swipe left. Uh, I was going to say Twitter. That's, that's bad. I should know better. Anyway, not that I should be on Tinder. I'm married. But I remember as a, as a young lad growing up, and you, I learned the things to say to elicit the response. It's a bit like, you know, as a child, you cry because you want attention because you've hurt yourself, right? The problem is when that starts to evolve into kind of other areas of your life, and for me it was, I know what to say to a girl to get the response of, oh, that's nice. Oh, oh, do you, do you, do you love me? Hey, gosh, you could throw that word around and I could, you could have them lining up. I'm not proud of it in the slightest. In fact, there, were, there was a few, one, one time in particular, I remember, you know, MSN, so you can be chatting to multiple people all at once. But when, when those people that you think aren't going to talk about the conversation you're having start talking, and you realize the same lines, maybe the same words, the same poems, but you know, it's like, gosh. But here's the thing. It's, hey, hey, we're all, we all are sinners. If I put it on the female perspective, it might be, you know, you start to learn how to dress or how to present yourself in a way that attracts a response from the men, you know, i.e. They, their mouth drops, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's not, not pretty, but, you know, you've, you've got quite far down the line just by how you present yourself. And so we've, we, we can all have bad experiences of love. You know, men often use words and love to try and elicit sex, right? I hope this isn't going to burst anyone's bubble. I'm really sorry. And we're talking about sex on a Monday night at church. But <laughs> that's typically <laughs> how men operate because we're thinking if we can say the right words, we're going to be able to get the treasure at the end of the rainbow, so to speak. <laughs> Girls, on the other hand, use sex to get love. Like we use the physical. I say we, gosh. <laughs> but girls can use sex. They can use the physical to try and get 
the love, the relationship, that depth of intimacy where, and yet you can see where it falls short so often because the guy's been using and then the girl's been using and we've been using and abusing something that was never meant to be done. And as much as we can say, oh, well, I'm all right, it's a friends with benefits relationship, at the end of the day, it damages. It damages us because no matter how robust or strong we are, we weren't designed to have like multiple relationships because every time we give something in that sense, we give something away. That intimacy, you know, we do feel nervous being vulnerable. There's a reason why we're like, you know, standing up naked does make us maybe fearful. People say public speaking is a bit like standing up naked. They get that scared because it's like, ooh, you can see everything. And in the same way, when we're intimate with someone and then intimate with someone else and then someone else and then someone else, we start to feel vulnerable and ashamed that there's so many people that can see into our life in a way that maybe we don't feel comfortable with. So we could have had a bad experience of love. And so in that respect, we don't always understand what love is. We think that it's just manipulating, controlling. So people even stay away from relationships. They lose faith in men or women thinking, I've had enough. And it's, again, relationships aren't the issue. It's the fact that sin has caused this relationship to be perverted and damaged. That's what sin does. You know, God created everything perfect, right? Sin came into the world and just perverted it, right? So sex is brilliant, created by God, designed it, unbelievably so, right? But we pervert it. Sin has that way of just dragging things down, tarnishing it. It's like, you know, you have water and as soon as you put a drop of food current in, the whole water is discolored. It doesn't matter if you pour the bottle in or just a single smidgen. The whole thing's contaminated, and that's what sin does to us. And I've already mentioned about the bad experience that some of us might have had with Christians or churches. That would repel us away from the supposed God's love. Because if our thought of as God is someone who comes with a pickard or a sign and is like angry, abusive to someone that they've never met, don't know of, for me it goes back to that scripture of people will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another, Right? Here's another one. I'm going to get into some good positive stuff in a moment. We wouldn't know love if it hit us, off, if it hit us in the face. Unawareness is massive. You know, until you know otherwise, sometimes we just go around the same tracks of life. And sometimes then we start thinking, well, this is just how good life's ever going to be. This is like the height that it gets to. You know, one holiday a year, just being able to graduate, getting with the relationship. Yeah, it gets a bit bad and there's the ups and downs. But we don't really know Love, we haven't experienced it in the fullest sense. You know, negative thinking stems from a lack of perspective. And when we haven't got that perspective, we start to spiral down. It's a bit like, you know, sometimes when, I don't know, Anna arrives home late or, and you know, the kids, you know, we can't find them. Gosh, it was a moment, right? <laughs> I don't know if I should share this because it's not even our child, but we're babysitting someone. I won't name names because they are in the church, not this church, but we were looking after him and, and for a moment, I swear, it was like 30 seconds. I thought he was in one room, and then he wasn't. And, I, and we've got a fairly big house, you know, and, uh, and there's quite a bit of open land, quite a lot, unfortunately. And there's a McDonald's. That could be appealing to a little child. But for literally I, I, 30 seconds, and we lost him. Like, literally, we lost him. Anna and I were both shouting up and down the house, three floors, going in all rooms, searching the cupboards, everywhere. We could not find him. 
And then your mind starts to go, once he starts to walk outside, can he open the door? Once he's gone outside, once they've stolen him. Gosh, what if they've now sold him into the slave trade for child sex trafficking? What if he's been abused? What, what, what? And all of a sudden it's like, flip me, you've gone a long way from just 30 seconds of misplacing a child, right? <laughs> That's how our thoughts can spiral down negatively. If you haven't got children, then that might be lost. But anyway, you know when you don't get that message back from that friend, suddenly you think, well, maybe they don't like me. Maybe with someone else. You know, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, partner, whatever. It's like you can very quickly spiral down in your thinking. Maybe they've died. Maybe they've been run over by a car. And then they get home. It's like, oh, my battery died. <laughs> anyway, we can be too busy for love. In our like, day and age, everyone's pursuing, everyone's rushing, everyone's going for life. We lose perspective. We lose our priorities. We're too busy for it. We're too busy to stop and think. My other point was we're not used to unconditional love. We've never known a love like this before. Our world is built on reciprocal or conditional love. Contractual, so many marriages now or in the celebrity world start with a prenuptial agreement, i.e. this is what's gonna happen. We've already agreed the end terms when we break up. It's sad, it's sad. And that's, that's conditional love, but we're not used to the unconditional love of God where it's like, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, wherever you've come from, I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna choose to love you. Let me just quickly go through these points. I won't spend much time on them, right? But let's remind ourselves that God is love. He literally is the author of love, the architect, the founder, the designer, the beginning and end of love. He's the definition of love. He's awesome. You know, by the fact that he's the author of love, he can write the perfect life story for you with love as the backdrop. He's the author of love. He's the architect of love. He can guide the steps of your life to help you create a building that stands the storms of life, as well as welcoming in other people who don't yet know love or don't not yet know the, the, the heavenly father. As the founder of love, he holds the rights to love, but he doesn't hold a copyright on it. He gives it freely. At no point has he limited it. He sent his son who died on a cross, but then he also then sent the Holy Spirit to live within us. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't keep the secret or the recipe to himself. He's like, no, I want to give. I want to keep pouring out my love into your life. I will never stop. The more you kind of open up your heart, the more I want to pour in. He's the designer of love. He can create a masterpiece of your life when we put our life in his hands. You know, there's a scripture in Isaiah. It says, still God, you are our father. We're the clay and you're our potter. All of us are what you, are, what you made us. You know, that image of us being clay, when we put the clay in the potter's hand, he can create something fantastic out of it. Sure, we can be a lump of clay all our life. We could be a proud lump of clay thinking that we're, you know, this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, we could be formed and molded and shaped into something significant, something amazing, something that we wouldn't know without the potter to put his hands on us and start to shape us as life has its effect on us. As the definition of love, he is and always will be love. He's eternal and unchanging. Oh, man, I've run out of time again. Shouldn't have done the recap. Note to self. Let me just finish on this one, right? God's love is a verb. It's an action. That ag ag agape, agape, love. It's not just a, a thought, emotion, or sentiment, but it's a doing word. It's not static or mystical, or ethereal. It's like it's doing. God is acting on your behalf. Yeah. You might not feel it, which was another point. We can't always feel God's love, 
But honestly, he is working on your behalf. But sometimes, so often we don't see it. We're blind to it. We're not aware of it. All those things above. But he is. He's doing, he's, he's working in the background. He's shaping our futures. So that when we look back on our life, we can start to see how God's mighty hand has just been upon us. You know, introducing us to the right people, opening the right doors, closing other doors, seeing other relationships move further away because they might not have been healthy. But the more we put ourselves into God's hands, the more that he can do with our life, the more that he can take us to the places, introduce us to people that need to experience his love in this city. There was one scripture, right, that totally... As a kid, not a kid, but when I was a teenager and I was questioning, did I believe in God? Did I want to trust him? And it was this scripture in Psalms 22. And it says, our ancestors trusted you. They trusted and you saved them. They called to you for help and you were rescued. They trusted you and were not disappointed. It was that last line that really stuck out to me. They trusted you and were not disappointed. Because honestly, one of my biggest fears growing up about Christianity and about Jesus and God was, if I trust him, I think I'm just going to be disappointed. I think he'll send me to Timbuktu, get me to marry a nun, (laughs) and clearly not have any fun. (laughs) And that line just thought, you know what, that, that, you know, you can read the Bible and it's lots of words. But when I, when I read that line, it just spoke to me and it said, you know, they trusted you. I, it was the Israelites, what the the scriptures referring to but they were not disappointed. I.e., when we put our trust in God, he promises, he says in his words, that, that we won't be disappointed. And because we can't always feel God's love, we do need a trust in it. And that's the dilemma. You know, he's not going to force himself. He's not going to take away our kind of free will, our ability, that gift to kind of choose for ourselves. But his love is present. It's working on your life constantly. And he wants to reveal more about you. Let me just finish with the last picture, which is, you know, a treasure hunt. Why do we like treasure hunts? Or I should put, why do kids really like treasure hunts, right? You guys like it too, but you've kind of grown up and thought, nah. But really, if there was actual treasure, you would be down with it. If I told you there's a, a chest with a million pounds in York, and I gave you a map with an X, and you had to follow it, you would all be out tonight trying to find it, okay? So treasure's awesome. And there's treasure, you know that we have, you know, we can go and find. It's like, oh, why doesn't God just give the treasure? Why don't you just like drop it in? Because that would save a lot of effort, a lot of questions and confusion. But it's like, no, where, where's the adventure? Where's the excitement in that? And just like a child, you know, we had it at Easter time. Matt and someone else in our garden hit about 10,000 eggs. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the kids run out thinking, whoa, where are they? All these like little cream eggs and little eggs and cheap eggs. There's a lot of cheap eggs. Um, <laughs> you know, and they were hidden everywhere. And it's amazing. The kids are like, yes, there's another one. There's another one. The shiny wrapper through the grass. And it's like, it's exciting. And they get to find it. Now, it'd be a bit ridiculous if they'd hid the eggs on top of the chimney or in the gutter or like, you know, in next door's house because they weren't looking in next door's house. It'd kind of like defeat the point, right? (laughs) And in the same way, God doesn't put things that are out of reach of us that we'll never find, that we could never achieve or never get to. But he does like... There's a joy in us being able to find the treasure, to find the treasure, things that are, that, that are not just immediately there for the taking. And so in that, you know, God wants us to pursue him. He wants us to engage with him, that relationship where he wants to 
give us the map. Often that's in his word. It says, hey, follow this and you will find treasure. And it's going to be awesome. And when you start to find and put some of those pieces of treasure, wisdom into practice, or the relationship that God has got for you, not necessarily in a romantic sense, but in terms of a work context, and you, you take his lead in and you're introduced into that relationship, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's phenomenal. I've said too much. <laughs> we might carry it on next week or I might jump onto something else, but <laughs> we've only got a couple of weeks left. And that's partly because of the term times. So I'm trying to fit a, a fair bit in. But God, you know, I wanted to do this series because, you know, God's love's powerful. And I hope after tonight and last week, that's hopefully something that's left with you. Maybe not all the points, but like one of the points. Take one point away with you. Because if you can just step a little bit closer to God and his love, you'll experience a lifetime of just more happiness, joy, fruitfulness in your life, more success, more resources. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. God doesn't want to hide himself from us, but he wants us to pursue him and uncover and have that joy of just like when you see a relationship and it, it grows from just being, do they like me? Do they not like me? To then, wow, I think they like me. Wow, this is amazing. And you can't wait to spend a bit more time and get to know them more. It'd be a bit boring if you just read the CV and think, that's enough. Like, let's get married. It's like, no, 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 no. Relationships are found in the time spent together. They're getting to know one another. The small, insignificant, minutia details of like how they drink the latte. And it's like, oh, it's so cute. The little wrinkles on their nose. Or like, that's the things that we're called to. And God's the same. He's not like after some deep, profound prayer that suddenly it's like, I love you, thou Lord. And like, have I said the right things to like access heaven? It's like, no, he just wants to know. This. He just wants us to be interested in the small intricacies of that relationship. The, the, you know, the highs, the lows, the, the woos, the ways of your life and what's going on. He wants to know. He, wants, he knows, but he wants to share that time together where you can build something that's unique to you. It's not just something that's said and passed on from someone else, but it's like it becomes your faith, your relationship, and God becomes your God. And when you read the Bible, it's like, this is awesome. Because when I read it now, I realize that the God of this person is also my God. If God can do it for them, if he can move a mountain for that person, he can move a mountain for me. It's amazing. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. Thank you, God, that you're so for us. You're not against us. Thank you that your love's constant. It'll never go away. It'll never disappear. Lord, I pray that this week and as we go out from here, that we'll open up our hearts just that little bit more to you. We'll open up our lives, our minds. We'll share our thoughts, even if it's just on the way to work, on the commute, whether it's when we're in the shower, whatever it might be. We just, we just try that conversation just to share a little bit more and find out, offer things up tentatively, excuse me. But God, I just pray that we'll get more and more. As we just open up, I know that you promised to give more. Draw close to God and he will draw close to you, it says. And so thank you, God, that you're not waiting for us. Like you, you are desperate. All your intentions are laid out. The speed and the depth of the relationship isn't down to you, it's down to us. And so if this is your first time, we do this every week. We give everyone an opportunity to respond. And, and in that sense, we just ask people to raise their hand, not for my benefit, but, you know, as an action, as, a, as a, a kind of a sign to God that says, I, I want to 
I want more of you. And so if this is your first time that you've maybe responded and you want to you say, I want to get to know more of Jesus, I just want to invite you now to raise your hand. And for the rest of us, Lord, I just want to pray that your spirit keeps bursting into our life, Lord, in our everyday life, that you just prompt us, remind us and think, flipping heck, your love is around me all the time, no matter what. I can accomplish, I can do anything because of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website 